different imagining, an imagining of the end of, of heaven on earth differently, coming, coming to the earth differently by another John, a different John, who wrote the book of, of Revelation. So please stand with me as we read from Revelation chapter 14. We're going to read two, two places in Revelation. We're going to read chapter 14, verses 9 through 13. And then we're going to read chapter 20, verses 10 through, 7 through 10, and then 14 through 15. And you can read in your Bible, or you can follow along in, your, in the bulletin on page 12. We have the sermon text printed there. So again, Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. And chapter 20, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, and their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And verse 14, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Make yourself as comfortable as you can be as we address this topic. We're going to look at implications today. Just as I was trying to draw out the implications there in that song, I want us to look at the implications of what we believe, what we choose to believe and not believe about this very difficult topic of the end, the topic of hell. And we read in chapter 14, we're introduced to this, this, this place called hell or the lake of fire or the fire and sulfur or the, the cup of God's wrath. It's described in different ways. But we read in verse 10 of chapter 14 that it is God's wrath. It is punishment for unpaid sins. And it is spiritual and it is physical. And we learn in verse 11 that it is forever and ever, forever and ever. And that term in English 
uh, has a, a Greek phrase underlying it, which is really the strongest possible way you could say without end in Greek. Ionon, ton, Ionon. The forever of forever. It's the age of all ages. Forever and ever. It goes on forever and ever. And that's the difficult part. We read in verse 10 of chapter 20 that it is different individuals that get put into this lake of fire, the false prophet, the devil is there, the beast, but also we see in chapter 14 and chapter 20 here, you see there are individuals, there are people that get thrown into the lake of fire. In fact, it's the destination, verse 14, of all those who are not in the book of life. And if we were to go on and read in chapter 14, we, don't, we didn't read that part, but we go on. John gives an indication of the numbers of people that will be going into the lake of fire. And he says, you know, those who get put into the wine press, the way he describes it, and, and squeezed like this, he says the, the blood flows up to the, to the level of a horse's bridle. In other words, John is saying there's a significant number of people, actually, that are destined for hell. And in fact, it sounds a lot like what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 7. He said, It straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto eternal life, and few be there. Few be there that find it. But the, but the way to destruction is wide and easy, and many are on the path thereon. So many people, these are sobering truths. Truth, they are difficult truths. And I think John knows this. I think John realizes how hard this is and, and how, how difficult it might be for us to face it and to grasp this. And so he writes the book with the structure that he does. In fact, you could say, you could look at the book of Revelation as a, as a one big treatise on the justification of hell. On one big work that's trying to explain why God is just and righteous in condemning people, consigning them to eternal damnation. And that's why the, the action that goes on is, is punctuated. It's, it's interspersed with people praising God. And there are doxologies that, that interrupt the action throughout the book. And what do they say in these doxologies? You are the just and true one. You are God, just and true. In other, in other words, they're saying you are right to bring these, these things upon the earth and then to bring the thing in eternity that you're bringing. And so you can see what, what John is doing is showing us in the book of Revelation how many chances God is giving people to escape this final fate. And so he, he goes through these various events and judgments and mercies, all for the same end, so that people might hear and respond to the gospel. And so the two witnesses go out, which if we're interpreting that right as the church, saying, you need to hear and you need to wake up and cast yourself upon the lamb who was slain, who's on the throne. You need to receive and repent. And that's why the book goes on for as long as it goes on. You know, that's why you go, oh, another bull, you know, another, another trumpet. And you know why? Because God is giving one more chance so that people would say, ah, I've been an idiot. And, and cast themselves on the mercy of Christ and receive God's love. And so it goes on and on. It's kind of like a dysfunctional relationship. 
You know those dysfunctional relationships or the the person inappropriately says, I'll give you one more chance. And then, you know, I'll give you one more chance. The person is not changing. and say, I'll give you one more chance. And that's what's going on in the book of Revelation. It's like God is inappropriately saying one more time. And so he goes through all of these machinations so that people might repent, so that they could avoid this final destination, which is right and just. But they do not. Many do not. You know, there's a, there's a member of our congregation, a young person in our congregation, who's been having bad dreams because of the imagery of the book of Revelation, I'm aware. person who's been having nightmares because of the book of, the, of, of Revelation and the imageries and the dragons and the beasts. And you know what I say to that? I say, of such is the kingdom of heaven. I say, you know, this kid of ironworks is probably closer to getting the message that John is trying to communicate than any of us. It's probably closer to actually getting what John is trying to get across to us, which is that if you actually saw from the perspective of heaven what is going on, how to look at the things that are going on in the earth, you would see it's monstrous. If you saw actually how often people, people deny Christ the people relegate him to the dustbins of history, how people refuse the love that God gives and instead mess up what God has done. If you see how that's going, you would see it was, it's monstrous. And the appropriate response is to have nightmares about it, is to have bad dreams about it. That's what Tron is trying to communicate. I think this kid is probably closer than any of us to getting what the real message is here of the book. And it's scarier than anything you're going to confront today on Halloween. That's what John's trying to get across. That's what really should be scary for us. These are sobering truths. These are difficult truths, but these are necessary truths for John to tell. Now, when I start talking like this, and we don't do this often here at Ironworks Church, but we do need to when it comes up in the scriptures. And here we are in the book of Revelation. We need to talk about hell, and we need to talk about the eternality of hell. And when I do this, I know for some people, it is just too difficult. There's some people, it's like, this is just too hard. I can't face I know a person, actually. She says, I just, I do not want to think about this. I can't think about this. And, you know, that makes sense to me. But I know some of us, even, we say, you know, I really, this is just, I can't think about God consigning someone to eternal punishment. I can't do it. It's too hard. And so, people try to think of other ways to read this. And that's what I want to spend some time doing with you this morning. Try imagining there is no heaven or hell. There is no hell or no eternality to hell. And let's just follow that through. Let's, let's do this thing of following through the implications of that. Because it's a little bit hard uh, to get around this being thrown into the, into the lake of fire for people who want to honor the scriptures. And the people I, I'm kind of addressing here are people who want to honor the scriptures. There are people who, who don't, want to, they don't want to throw the Bible out, but at the same time, they just said, I can't believe it. I can't accept it. It's just too painful. And they're afraid. that Maybe you're not afraid for yourself. Maybe some of you are afraid for yourself, in which case I say you have to deal with what John is saying here. But maybe you, you say, well, I'm not afraid for myself, but then I turn and I look at my loved ones. 
And I see loved ones that I know who are not casting themselves on the, on the lamb who was slain, who's on the throne. On those whose names don't seem to be written in the book of life. There's nothing in their lives that would say their names are written in the book of life. And you're fearful for them. And the natural thing to do, I understand, the natural thing to do is that maybe there's some other way to read this. Maybe there's some other way we can understand this. So it's not an eternal punishment. The ionos, tone ionon, really doesn't mean what we, we think it means. And so people do that. The one thing that people do is to say, well, maybe... Maybe for some people, or maybe people in hell, once they get thrown into the fire, it destroys them because fire burns things up, right? So people say maybe people get annihilated, and that gives rise to what is, is called annihilationism. And that's kind of popular today. As people try to, try to find some other way to understand this. Maybe, it, maybe people are annihilated. Well, the problem here, when, when we... When we look at what, the, what John is actually saying, is that the, this, this term that he uses, forever and ever, that's, that's used throughout the book for other things as well. In Revelation 22, it's about how long the blessed people are going to be blessed. How long, if you are in Christ, you are going to be blessed. If you're going to believe that's forever and ever and never-ending, it's used the same, the same term as used here. Or it's used in Revelation chapter 4 to describe how long God is going to be praised? How long is it going to go on? Ionos ton Ionon. It's going to go on forever and ever. So if we are believing that we're, God is going to be praised forever and ever, it seems like we're forced to bring that understanding here to these descriptions of eternal punishment as well. And this word in, in verse 11, chapter 14, verse 11, for torment, Torment. This word, torment, it's the Greek word basanismos. And it's hard to get around that because it doesn't say people go away. That word torment never, is never used in the book of Revelation to mean somebody just disappears or you know, is, is no longer there anymore. In fact, it's never used that way in all of biblical literature. There's a torment that goes on forever and ever. So that is hard to get around. It's hard to say, well, somebody might be annihilated. You, reading these texts. In fact, it's basically what Jesus says. Again, Jesus, who spoke more about hell than anybody else in the Bible. And he put it in Matthew 25. He said, no, this is an eternal fire. The fire is eternal for people. So the next place that people go in their thinking, and it's naturally to say, well, maybe, maybe, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, people aren't annihilated, that the soul really is eternal, as the scriptures seem to indicate for us. But maybe what happens is that eventually there's a change in people and they come out of that hell. Maybe the forever and ever is, is forever and ever until it really means people change. And this was the tax taken by um, an author that I love dearly, George MacDonald. This is his name. This is what he, he tried to say. Well, let's, let's think about that. 
Let's, let's take that and, and find the implications of that too. Let's say, and this would be called universalism, the idea that eventually people are in hell until they change or some people change and come out of hell. Let's just follow it through. If you can, if you can imagine that people were there and then came out, what would it mean for us? Let's say they were there for 100 years or maybe 500 years, or maybe 1,000 years, and after 1,000 years, somehow they stepped out of the lake of fire. They, they came out. What would that mean? If something happens then, if after 1,000 years, God says, enough. That's enough punishment. And you step out of hell. Do you know what, that, you know what just has happened? You have paid for your sins. You realize? If, some, if at some point you're in hell and God says enough punishment and then the person comes out of hell, what's happened is that person has just paid for their sins. And it, it actually ruins our doctrine of justification. Do you know what our doctrine of justification says? It says that those who are saved never pay for their sins ever pay for their sins. There is no punishment for you if you cast yourself upon the lamb who is slain, who is on the throne. There is no punishment for you if your name is in the book of life. And that's, I, God, that's our religion, actually, basically. That's our religion. You know, that is what we believe, that we never pay for our sins. That means if you are in Christ, there is no punishment for you ever, ever, So you see what happens if people somehow have enough punishment, they've added to Christ's work. And our understanding, our very understanding of justification falls to the ground in shambles. That's the implication. As John put it, well, 1 John 4, was it the same John as this John? We don't know. <laughs> but 1 John 4 says, there is no Fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And those who fear have not been perfected in love. You hear what First John is saying there? He's saying that if you are in the love of Christ, you do not fear punishment. You cannot fear punishment. You cannot be punished because that punishment, the eternal weight of that punishment fell upon Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the point of our justification. Well, the next place that the mind kind of naturally goes, maybe there's some other way to understand, somehow to avoid this idea that God eternally punishes someone. The next thought would be, well, maybe, maybe, Maybe it's not pain for our sins, but maybe somebody's in hell and eventually they come out of hell, not because of their justification, but because they've been purified. Maybe they've been purified enough so that a change happens in them. And this is what people try to argue. People try to say, let's find some way to avoid this conclusion. And there's precedent for that in the scriptures, isn't there? I mean, sometimes the 
fire purifies people. Sometimes it's a purifying fire. Sometimes fire is, is used as a symbol of sanctifying people. So maybe, maybe a people or some people in hell are, are purified and sanctified and changed to such an a point where they step out of it. They receive Christ. They cast themselves upon, upon the mercy of Christ. So how do we, um, how would we answer that? How would the scriptures answer that? Well, unfortunately, in the passage, it tells us, doesn't it, that hell, this fire is God's wrath, right? There's no hint of sanctification in the imagery of this fire, right? But again, follow that through. Let's say at some point, 100 years, 500 years, 1,000 years, God says, enough, there's been enough sanctification. You've been purified enough. You're good enough now to get into heaven. Do you realize what's just happened? Hell has been kind of collapsed into like a, the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory. That, that suddenly hell has become this place where purification happens after death. And this is actually why we had the Reformation. Just, to, you know, this day, this day is actually Reformation Day. And we celebrate, well, some of us celebrate Reformation Day because this is the very day where Martin Luther took 95 theses and a hammer and nail and he went up to the church at Wittenberg and the door and he, he hammered those 95 theses onto the door. This very day, October 31st, and he did it on this day because it was all Hallows' Eve, and this was a day when indulgences were, sale, sale, were sold. And most of those 95 theses, I'm going to a party today, I found out where I'm, they're actually going to be read. This is fantastic. Most of those 95 theses are about how to get into heaven. Because Luther's contention was things like purgatory and the sales of indulgences to shorten your time in purgatory, they end up ruining the doctrine of grace. And so he, we had the Reformation. This is basically what the Reformation is about. So you see, the doctrine, the doctrine of hell, it's like that game Jenga, right? You have this tower in front of you, which is Christianity. You can't slip out hell like some plank without toppling the entire logic of Christianity. And so in this passage, for example, chapter 14, verse 13, you, see, you saw how we read, blessed are those who die in the Lord that they may rest. So the voice of heaven is tying death to rest. In heaven, when there's death, there is rest. There is no more working out. There is no more time of sanctification. Instead, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. So these are the implications, friends, that leave us really no choice because of our very fundamental doctrines. That what we're facing here, what John is saying is, is in fact what we read it to be, that this is an eternal punishment. 
And it is, it is, it is kind of proven, like I said, this is the, work of, the work of Revelation is this kind of apologetic for God's righteousness in this by the millennium itself in chapter 20. This is uh, pointed out by um, Grant Osborne, great, great um, commentator on the book of Revelation. Grant Osborne points out that the millennium proves the necessity of eternal punishment. Why? Well, you remember we were talking about the millennium a few weeks ago. We were reading Revelation 20, that thousand-year period when Christ would reign personally, when the devil would be bound. And if you recall, you remember I said that, that the millennium proved two things, right? It proved a victory that no evil could overcome, and it also proved a depravity that no mercy can change. And so it says in Revelation 20 that the devil has to be released. Why does he have to be released? Because his release shows that even after a thousand years of saintly reign, even after all of these judgments and all of these mercies, and, and then in this thousand years, perfect environmental righteousness, people still don't repent. Even after a thousand years of Jesus Christ's personal rule and every advantage, beneficent um, governing, perfect governing, what happens when Satan comes out at the end of that thousand years? Non-believers flock to him. It's like there's not even a hesitation. It's like, whoop. They go right over to the other side. This is after Christ personally himself was there without the devil. It did not change them. It did not change a Peter. It did not change a Judas into a Peter. It didn't lead people to repent. Do you know what a thousand years means in the book of Revelation? It means a long, long time. It means for as long as you can think of. As long as you can think of a life. That's a thousand years. And you see what the millennium proves is that even after a thousand years with temptation removed... Still, it does not change the core loyalty of a depraved human heart. And so when the devil comes back, whoop, up they go. No hesitation. It's not going to change. So it's proving the power of total depravity. It's proving the waywardness of a depraved human heart, never to be altered by the passing of time. And so the necessity of an eternal damnation, and a separation where God closes the door on evil. Friends, there are 404 verses in the book of Revelation. 404 verses. And in those 404 verses, there are hundreds of allusions to all of the books that came before in the Bible, all the other biblical books in a canon of 65 other books. Every other book in the Bible, save three, is referenced by the book of Revelation. This is a time where John is tying it all together in the end. This is a time when he's saying all of these different themes from all of these different scriptures, they all come together here. This is the climax of all prophecy He's bringing it all to a close, all to a finish here. If there was one place to clarify what eternal destiny would be, it would be here. 
If there's one place in the scriptures where you can, it's time to clear up misunderstandings. Like, you know what? The way you were reading Jesus there, it wasn't clear. Let me correct that here. Or the way you had uh, thought about what the prophets were saying, if there was one place in scripture where it was, should be clarified what's going to happen at the end, it would be here. If there's one place where it's going to be suggested, there's some kind of reprieve after which, you know, you could step out of the, the lake of fire. It would be here. And yet, what do we see? Not a breath. Not a breath in the book of Revelation about a reprieve. It's hard. Not only that, you know, John, this author, is, is correcting the popular literature of the time. He's taking the popular apocalyptic, the Jewish apocalyptic of the time, and he uses images from that in several different places. He corrects the understanding. He says, you know, this is the way you're seeing it in this apocalyptic, but here I'm going to tell you what's really true. And John corrects using that imagery of apocalyptic. You know what the popular understanding of that time, early Jewish literature was? Do you know what the popular understanding was? There was an eternal punishment for the reprobate. That was what people believed. Do we see John correcting that? If there was one place where he corrects other misunderstandings, he would also correct it here. Not a breath of that. Not a breath. If there was one place where he would correct the popular understanding of the time, or there's one place to correct the misunderstandings of the scriptures of the past, it would be here. We don't see it. Instead, what we see is this judgment. Because eternal damnation is a necessary reality, and it's right, and it's just. What does this mean for you? If you are a believer here today, what it means for you, you should hear this message loud and clear. You do not get punished. There is no punishment for you, none. Are you living that way? Why are you living as if, you know, right around your shoulder, looking over your shoulder, there's a punishment that's going to come from God? Why do you look as if there is punishment in your future? There is no punishment in your future. There's no punishment in your present. If you are in Christ, punishment is gone. Never is there punishment for you. Are you living that way? Now, you say, there's suffering, so we certainly get that from the book of Revelation, right? We've been reading that. This is part of the message of the book of Revelation. There is suffering as God takes our hands, tries to lead us in steps of righteousness, as God invites us to participate in the second coming of the Lamb who was slain, the very Savior, and say, come in His way. So yeah, there are different reasons that we might suffer, but it is never punishment. It is never God taking out His wrath on you. Are you living that way as a believer? Are you sitting there stewing in your guilt? That is not the way to live. That is not the way to take advantage of what has been won for you. That's if you're a believer. What is this message for you if you're a non-believer? I don't think I have to spell it out. You have to think. You have to think, folks. You have to think about what life is about and what your life means. Whether you respond to God in tribulation or whether you respond to God in mercy, actually, the, the goal of each is the same. You will find a father ready to receive you. That is, if anything, that something that the book of Revelation preaches, 
that there is an opportunity that God is giving for you to turn to him. And he is, is doing everything he says. He keeps drawing out the story, another bowl, another trumpet, just so that you would have the opportunity to turn to him and escape this punishment. That is what you should take away. Truth is not determined by majority. Sorry. And you can sit there and you know, imagine there's no uh, heaven or hell, no religion, all that you want. Besides not making sense of what we uh, see in this life, it also does not prepare us for the reality of the next. That's the message for us today. Let us stand now and press 